Would you guys join me with a short word of prayer? Precious God, we need you. Amen. In this last year, my wife and I moved to a new construction neighborhood. And as a result, we got solicitors pretty much every single day. One time I was walking my dog and a guy tried to sell me something while I was walking my dog. So I know what it feels like to sit there and think, dude, get to your point, what are you trying to sell? So I'm gonna do that with you right here tonight. I'm gonna tell you exactly what I want you to know and the rest of the talk is trying to convince you why this is true. Life is less about knowing the next step and more about knowing that who we're following is trustworthy. You've been hearing that over and over and over, but let's see if we can find one more reason for why you, in the middle of what you're going through, should choose this guy, this God-man, that we lovingly call Jesus. So let's look at the verses that we have for tonight. It's John 14, 5, and 6. And this is where I'm basing pretty much everything that I'm talking about. Let's, let's read this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you see this, and you probably are like, yeah, I've heard that all the time. It's on bumper stickers. People say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But you know what's fascinating? Looking at this text, right before this is when Jesus is talking about how he has many rooms, how he has a mansion in heaven for you. So this way that we're going, this path, is not just some arbitrary, arbitrary chasing of wisdom. There is a place where this path is going because when you chase wisdom, we've learned that you are chasing Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, where does he say he's going? What does that last little bit say? No one comes to who? The Father. So that must mean it's a good thing. If we're spending our life doing this, if Jesus is doing this, I think we can surmise that going to this Father is an excellent thing we want to do. But I want to focus on the questions here. As you may know, Thomas was known for being the doubter. Doubting Thomas, he's called. He second guesses everything. Let's just, let's just acknowledge this is us. We are Thomas in this story. So we are asking Jesus two things when we're thinking about what in the world is this way forward? What in the world is chasing wisdom? We're saying, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Okay, that's more of a statement than a question. And the actual question is, how can we know the way? What cracks me up here is Jesus's answer kind of ignores the question and goes from the shallow, you know, how do we know the way, to the existential, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, you know me. That means you know the way. He continues, no one comes to the Father, this, this place with many mansions, except through me. So to sum up this passage, the way is a person, and the trajectory of the path is a relationship with the Father. All right, good. We did some basic breaking down of the text. Now, how does that intersect with the very real trauma that we are experiencing, that we have experienced? How does knowing this give me the strength I need to get through my current storm? As we move forward through this evening and life, it is imperative that we grasp the fact that the Lord guides us rather than hides from us. 
Let's look at some other mentions in the Bible about God leading. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. <laughs> As you may remember from when you were a child, even the smallest light can transform the darkest darkness. There was nothing scarier than getting up to go to the bathroom at 3 a.m. and your nightlight is out. Oh, I, you're groveling around in the darkness. Maybe I don't need to go to the bathroom that bad. I'll just go back to bed and uh, hope for the best. <laughs> now, as adults, though, the darkness's ability to instill fear in our hearts hasn't diminished, has it? If anything, it feels like the darkness is even more powerful than it used to be. We are in desperate need of light outside of ourselves. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, when I hear the word lamp, I immediately think of just flipping a switch and the entire room lights up. I think of my mom rolling her eyes as my dad excitedly shows off how he fully automated their family room to shine a bright green and red by saying, hey, Google, Christmas. <laughs> when I think of a light in the darkness, I think of how I went on a night dive, a scuba dive, swimming out into the black ocean, sent off like 27 internal alarms. Turn back. There are things out there you can't see. A shark's hiding behind that rock. What do you do if you have to fist fight an eel? Your light is going to run out of battery. Oh, that's right, my light. You see, I had a flashlight specifically designed to last longer than the length of the dive, a flashlight specifically designed to go deeper than I was going on this dive, a flashlight to my fins and a light to the rip currents. Maybe your encounter with darkness that comes to mind is much more serious than these examples. Maybe you still feel like you're in this darkness with no light and no hope, and you feel, what in the world does wisdom matter while I'm going through this storm? Perhaps it's a dark blanket of depression. Maybe you've had some loss that you're grieving. Maybe you have no idea why you came here tonight, and you're just waiting to go home so you can have some semblance of safety. We all traverse paths covered in the darkest darkness. I don't say this to make you feel like your pain isn't unique. I tell you so you know there is a path forward to let you know that there is a community that's also trying to figure this whole thing out. There's still an extra lamp waiting for you to guide your feet, to light your path. Compared to the night diving flashlight, the OK Google Christmas lights, and even a nightlight in the dark hallway, the lamp referenced in this verse can actually feel even more underwhelming. You see, the lamps talked about at this time were made of clay. They were filled with oil and carried through the darkness as a source of light to illuminate the path ahead. Have you ever actually read by candlelight? Have you ever tried doing anything by candlelight? Maybe when your power went out, maybe it's something that we do just for, for a few minutes or just for an evening, but have you ever walked in the darkness with a candle? It seems absolutely ridiculous. But these are the kinds of questions we have to ask when God claims that his word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. But think like a child for just a moment. When you were a child, there were two infallible truths. The first one, no monsters can hurt you when the light is on. And the second one, pulling the covers over your head give you absolute invincibility from anything, including mom. <laughs> we would bet our lives on this. But I remember growing up, I was scared of the dark, particularly my closet. And so I would ask my dad, hey dad, can you check the closet? 
to make sure there's not any monsters in there. He'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll go check the closet. So he goes in there and like, I'm, I want you to imagine this. I'm sitting on my bed and I have the covers over and I'm just peeking with my eyes. So my dad goes into the closet and I'm watching him and he starts bumping around, checking, okay, there's no monsters here, no monsters there. And then he bumps, bumps, bumps and then goes silent. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, dad, <laughs> dad, are you okay? And so insanity upon insanities, I decide to get out of the bed, walk over to the closet, open it, see if he's okay. And he goes, ah, <laughs> right in front of me. And it terrified me. And so I'm very excited to pass on that parental trauma to my child now, whenever he is scared <laughs> of the dark. There's a great documentary on this called Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> but now, when we think of this, we think it's all Hevel, it's all nonsense, it's all vapor in the wind. It doesn't matter what we thought when we were kids. Real life is knocking on the door and hiding under the covers is not an option. But here we forget the wisdom of a child. Even the smallest nightlight transforms the scary, dark hallway into just a hallway. Even the smallest light can transform the space that it's in. Like a flower growing in the desert, light in the darkness awakens an ancient internal force that we simply call hope. But sometimes, even on the brightest path, we can trip. Even Olympians who have been practicing their entire lives on a path dedicated for racing can trip. Even on our best days, whatever we think this right path is, we can trip. We need help even when the path is well lit. So as God does, he stacks things in our favor. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip, is the next verse, yes. This creates a hilarious mental image for me. It's like we're running around the duck pond over here in Keene, and you know how there's randomly concrete paths, and then there's also dirt ones, and they're interconnected, and you only know where they are because you've gone over there 50,000 times on Sabbath afternoon? Well, imagine that you're running, and all of a sudden there's dirt path, and God is going before you, paving concrete. As you're going off, where the path is. God is enlarging the path. It's absolutely ridiculous, but isn't that how biblical wisdom usually sounds? If biblical wisdom, if these things that Jesus is claiming he's doing for us are true, then this has to change our view on what it means to follow the way. It seems as if the correct life and path isn't some static, perfectly paved place that we have to discover. If we Google it enough, if we come to church enough, if we pray enough, then maybe we'll find this place. It's not a perfect preset way. Based on just these two verses, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging to figure out which path is the best and why. He is actively guiding, facilitating, and changing the path itself as we are walking on it. Which brings us back to Thomas's question. How can we know the way? I imagine Jesus wanting to lovingly clasp both of Thomas's shoulders and say, Thomas, 
you know me. How can you say that? For Jesus, the way is not a means to an end. It's the whole thing. It's a pursuit. It's a journey. It's exciting. It's scary. It goes against what we know to be true. It goes against conventional wisdom. But according to biblical wisdom, the way is alive. The way is a person. And he's inviting us to walk alongside him on a path that's stacked in our favor. Let's take a quick second to look at the common wisdom of our nation. We're told to get married to the opposite gender, work at the same job for 40 years, retire with plenty of money saved, get that white picket fence and have two and a half kids. Failure to achieve this so-called American dream is stifling. It's exhausting. The way forward with conventional wisdom is a narrow, unforgiving, beautiful for a small group slog that makes many of us feel less than, unredeemable, and unlovable. We're so familiar with this rigid path that we think our spiritual life must be the same. But praise God that Jesus constantly breaks our understanding of who he is. He wants so badly to free us from these unhealthy expectations that we can never, ever achieve. He wants to not only light our steps, but broaden our path. Yes, of course, being a follower of Jesus is difficult. But if you want to stay on the way forward, that's all you need. Because Jesus, this is the secret, wants you to be on the path. He will do everything he can to keep you on the way forward. The only thing that can make you truly fall away, fall away from the way, the truth, and the life is your choice. Okay, so let's say you're into this. You want to follow the way forward, but you're not sure what it looks like. If the way is a person, then what's my correct path in life? There are many ways to experience this path, but I want to point out three that I see very frequently. Some of us get lost in the sauce and focus too much on the path itself. We study its contours when there are drops in elevation, where water flows over it, the exact latitude we think it'll end. The list goes on, but even though this group may be physically and mentally focused on the path, they still miss the way. The motivation is a fear of failure, which brings me to the next group. Another option for following the way is to hyperachieve. These are the pastors, the, the music leaders, the board members, the people who thrive on following the way really well. Rather than spending time with Jesus, we aim to be the best, the quickest, the most productive of his followers. We live in the left lane of life, and it's more about who we're running from than who we're running for. The last group is the meandering slow group. This is a group of kids running wild through the trees, enjoying everything that they see, testing each branch to see if it will hold their weight. They run on the path and off the path, but remember the wisdom of a child. They are still on the way forward because they know that as soon as they run a little too far, as soon as they get a briar stuck on their pants, their mom will come and help them because they know that the path is not left, right, correct, stay on the dirt, but who they are with. They may not follow the path correctly like we think they should, but they're actually enjoying life and able to live in the moment. Enjoying the way forward as a person rather than as a checklist is critical for the joyful Christian life. John Mark Comer writes, in the end, your life is no more than the sum 
of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well, he continues, for the apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to all that is good and beautiful and true in his world, but not so for those who spend their attention on the 24-7 news cycle of outrage, anxiety, and emotion-charged drama, or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel, end quote. Allow your conventional wisdom to break when it comes face to face with Jesus. Just as God broadens your path, he will continue to broaden and stretch your understanding of what it means for him to be the way. My invitation for you tonight and the rest of your life and for me is very simple. Amidst the cacophony of voices in the world telling you what's best, amidst the hevel, the vanity, the nonsense, one thing is sure. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. The way forward is not a perfectly manicured path traversed with perfectly measured steps. It's a person. It's a God. And he's waiting, waiting for you.